we seeded the year with all this uncertainty and then we've really gestated and now hopefully all of that contemplation is going to give birth. Welcome to What Could Possibly Go Right, a project of the Post Carbon Institute. We interview cultural scouts to help us see more clearly so we can act more courageously. I'm Vicki Robin, your host. Today we visit with Severin Fleming. Severin is a farmer, an activist, an organizer based in Down East, Maine. She runs Smithering Farm, a certified organic wild blueberry, seaweed, and orchard operation. She is a founder and board member of Agrarian Trust, whose mission it is to support land access for the next generation of farmers. In the next decade, it's predicted that 400 million acres of U.S. farmland is going to change hands. And the Agrarian Trust seeks to uh, put as much of this as possible into the hands of young farmers for both uh, sustainable food production and collective ecological stewardship. She's also a founder and creator of the Greenhorns, a 10-year-old grassroots organization whose mission it is to recruit, promote, and support the incoming generation of farmers in the United States. I met Severin, oh, about eight years ago when I had done my own experiment in hyperlocal eating. I had a 10-mile diet ate within a 10-mile radius of my home for a month, which alerted me to um, the need for a local, an integrated local food system, and not just you know a few carrots at a farmer's market. But what would it take for us to be able to have 50% of our food from within 500 miles? I, I was on a quest and I met Severin, she was on a panel at the Bioneers in a, a conference in California. I sort of fangirled her because what she was doing was precisely what I saw needed to be done. So here's Severin. Yeah, hi, we're here with Severin Fleming, Von Tarcher Fleming, but Severin Fleming now. And uh, I met Severin um, many years ago, uh, and she's famous for many things in the realm of agriculture. And of course, knowing what you know, being who you are, doing what you do, I'm really interested in your answer to this question of what could possibly go right. So over to you. Well, a lot could go right. <laughs> a lot could go right. Um, there's a fleeing that's going on. The, the, the desire of humans to move, of human bodies to move geographically is um, very powerful. You know, you think about how much, how many bodies are in motion north from Africa, driven by climate consequence and ambition and, and fierce hope and fierce survival. I mean, whoa, like how far of a distance people are willing to go. It's extraordinary, actually. So there's all these different movements and re again, this reshuffling. But, you know, around here, we had six kids graduate our local high school. You know, um, as all of these landscapes and small towns in the United States have become sites of commodity extraction and the main street collapses and the schools dwindle and, you know, uh, out migration of youth, well, we shed all of what makes us whole. And 
So the resettling and moving of bodies isn't inherently wrong. It's like, I think it's a question of on what terms, how are those new people going to interact? How are they going to naturalize? How will they be met? You know, I'm in a place where the Passamaquoddy peoples first encountered Europeans. The first interaction of these bedraggled people arriving who needed, you know, food, who needed to be welcomed. And uh, what will that welcoming look like as bedraggled people become a part of almost every place that's habitable? And what will it mean for those who are, who are there welcoming? And that cultural dialogue about the reshuffling of our settlement patterns of our, of settlement possibility and the terms, the terms that we, you know, last time around uh, that land was taken because it was uh, wild and it was un uncivilized and it was unimproved and it needed to be worked and land to the tiller and land to the enlightened yeoman farmer was, you know, used as an excuse for the allotment act and claiming yet more Indian territories. And, you know, it seems like you could really make a pretty spiritual argument right now that land to the healer, those who are willing to work, those who are willing to heal, who are willing to restore mm -hmm. should have tenure should have durable tenure. When refugees and atmosphere and fire and burn and waves and I mean, we lost five feet off the front of my land here. That is that I you know that I own from the sea. <laughs> we're all we're all a part of the ocean commons. We are all a part of the land commons. We are all um, we are all participants. And so an acknowledgement of our common humanity and our common plight would say that a rearrangement, not only in human bodies um, and the harbors of yesteryear might no longer make sense as the harbors of tomorrow. Um, the wind patterns are changing, the, the patterns of commerce have changed, et cetera, et cetera. And that means that the resettlement and the re-enlivenment of the underlying ecology might actually be what valorizes the entry of new humans into the space. That those humans who are coming with a mission to heal and to help and to serve and to mend deserve security. And this word subsistence is uh, you know, it, it kind of sounds derogatory often in the way it's used. Oh, subsistence, subsistence. Yeah, subsisting. Wow, what a what an honor. <laughs> what an honorable way to interact with the with the world. You know, I mean, right now all the table is full. I can show you upstairs of you know shiny, glistening abundance, and what an honor to walk among you know all these plants that we have tended all year. And to be kind of slack and easy and it's all just falling off, you know, it's like, it's heavenly. And we have mapping tools, we have GIS, we have models, we have LIDAR, we have plenty of surveillance, plenty of um, conservation biologists, plenty of citizen scientists. We have plenty of knowledge of where our watersheds are flowing and where they flow from and where the wetlands are and 
and what used to be there. And we can say with some pretty great precision where the points of intervention are for restoration on the landscape. And those places need structure assigned to them that says, if you come and plant orchards here, if you come and plant willows here, if you come, then you can have an enduring right to subsistence. And that's a kind of reparation in the restoration. That's an opportunity in healing. That's a logic about making home better that you're coming to. You know, that's like being a good guest. And because I don't like it to be so desperation-y, I really, um, desperation is not make a good farm worker, does not make a good neighbor, does not, you know, um, my friend had the easement, the conservation easement for his farm purchased by the Navy because the Navy wants to keep settlement low and they want to keep farms around themselves because they understand that community resilience is what makes peace around a military base. Uh, and so the figuring out of how to make space and how to accommodate one another and, and uh, discern how to do that feels really important. And those are, you know, in many, many cultures that don't have private property already as a basis and on the sea, um, you have customary rights. You have, for instance, in the Sahel region, which is a desertifying region and in, in, in right and along the Saharan boundary on the bottom of it, that's the Sahel region. It's known for um, gum acacia and a series of trees, many of them leguminous acacias, but also the shea nut butter tree. And in this region, the shea nut butter trees are tended, protected. They're not owned, but they're the source of um, the majority of female cash income in that whole region. But there's a situation where they don't own the trees. They don't graze. They don't necessarily own the cows that graze. They don't own the crops that are below. But they have a right to those fatty fruits that fall. And their cultural right is understood by all the other users. And their cultural right is understood by other users and is therefore protected. And the young trees that are, you know what they say, farmer-assisted propagation, meaning don't let your goats eat it when it's baby, you know. Right. And, and so it's kind of like we have an opportunity, I think, to look differently at the basin to which we belong, the water basin to which we belong, and the opportunities for commoning that exist for us already. You don't have to get GIS even, you know, the, the cemetery, the school, the land trust land, in front of the grocery store, in front of the old ladies' houses, the church, the nursery school, the median in the town, you know, um, the biggest collection of oaks in the world is in Aiken, South Carolina, where a man just collected oak trees and planted them in the public strips of the town. So I, I feel like there's, that's what I'm, what I'm hoping for is that this has been a time of everyone really tuning into their, their like naked body on mm -hmm. the land that they are, wherever it is, wherever your naked body is, it is land, whether or not you own the house, you are on land and you are of land and belonging fully in the present to the land as an economy that is 
not the same as capitalism. Demands responsibility. Demands our responsibility. And I, I, I guess I don't know where that's going to go. I just think that that might be what goes right. If that yeah. happens inside of a lot of souls, that, okay, here I am. I better make it great. I better figure out resilience and diversity and preparedness and knowing my neighbors and thinking ahead and, you know, fire mitigation and water drought prevention and debris collection and mulching and all the things. That's the work. So I agree 100%. I have 100,000%. I'm doing it in a minor way. I have friends here on Whidbey Island who are doing it in a slightly larger way. I mean, with real commitment and really taking the opportunity of the pandemic to reshape, you know, how the kids are getting schooled, you know, like what they're doing with this extra pasture that they, they own because they've, you know, they bought it a couple of years ago because they had the opportunity. So, I mean, I just would like to, in our few, last few minutes, do you see this happening right now? And do you see that the disruptions right now are even lighting small fires of what could be? Do you see what could be arising in the midst of what is well, what's emerging right there on Whidbey is um, the first Puget Sound land commons of Agrarian Trust. Right. <laughs> and thanks to the gift of land, and thanks to the gift of support from Patagonia, that land is getting a restoration plan, camas, you know, um, wetland, little, there's a little remnant camas wetland, it's getting hedgerow, it's getting, obviously, weed abatement problems, but native restoration and that land will be made available for lease for a young farmer who can be growing there in a place that's quite pricey and where there's a lot of people who will buy it. Now, this issue about money and land and land prices, you know, um, so often I've talked about this in terms of this inflection of, you know, transitioning stewardship and how, you know, 70% of the land owned by people 65 and older and how do we get the young ones to be able to buy it out and and some of it needs to be gifted you know that's the thing that feels like the truest the truest truth that i can come to is giving the gift of good land is something that has to become central to any strategy for the survival of any community and We've had a really great tax abatement framework around land conservation for many years in this country. It's gotten us a certain, a certain distance along this path. But now, actually, uh, urgently, we need to do more faster. And there's bodies ready to do the work. You know, there's like, we cannot say now there's no organized young farmers movement. It's organized in 44 states. You know, you cannot say there's not a practice that's been established that there's demand for local food, that there's you know, it's here, it's ready, it's totally game ready. And so those who have the means and there's, you know, those who have the means know who they are. It's time to give it. Right. And sometimes give it with the assurance that, that you can live out your years on your land. Yes. And, and then also the assurance that 
and this is this is dicey and it would be a whole other conversation but it's the mind shift that you know um our our estates you know and it's literally the physical estate our estates are passed along to our children because in prior times that was you know class position wealth etc and the children were going to carry on that was how the children could carry on and a lot of people now their kids are not interested in farming none of them are you know of the some of the people i know and so that's the other part of it is it's a mindset change of of you can give to the children of other people the children who want to carry on the legacy your legacy you can give to them as long as they will take care of you as you age out and right. you can assure that the the children of your bodies who have other destinies can have what they need it's i think there's you know when i'm listening to you and and we're sort of out of time now but when i'm listening to you I, I love that everything is sort of <laughs> literally shovel ready. You know, we have the elements in place, but there's barriers to um, access, stewardship, and assurance of long-term capacity to continue farming. Well, and it's on both sides. I think that's the point is, you know, there's the, there's the, needing opportunity and there's needing release and there's needing assurance. Exactly. And how do we make a truce? You know, a it's truce. uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable <laughs> on both ends. You know, exactly. and I, uh, I mean, agrarian trust exists for this purpose and, um, you know, has, it has the, the, well, we have the honor now of there's 17 parcels that are lined up. We just had a great success fundraising in Maine for the Somali Bantu Association, the little Juba Commons. That was 1,500 people chipping in their little bit of money to buy the farm so that these guys can keep farming, you know, on a 99-year lease with high stewardship, you know, uh, requirements, you know, organic only, local only, et cetera. And so, you know, that's a structure that we're like living out in, in public view to say, Here's a proposal for how we would host land for community use in community ownership by organic farmers with affordable, durable leases of dignity. And this is one, you know, pathway that we're that we're prototyping for everyone's benefit. But there's so many other pathways that could be uh, undertaken. And often when there's a family farm, there's other non-farm assets that are happened that have happened, you know, and those that farm can be given away and offset the non-farm assets and not pay taxes on those you know so from an estate perspective there's a lot of benefit to thinking about the farm gift as a way to offset you know the legacy that you want to pass to your blood kids but also keep the land totally. actually productive yeah thank you for the opportunity and um yeah this feels like a good a good frame. I, I think you're going to find that a lot of people have been rearranging their priorities and a lot of humans have been thinking more about what am I really going to do with this, my precious life on earth in this right. precious, precious time. Hey, thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five star review, which will help this hopeful message get out to more people. 
and check out the Post Carbon Institute website for show notes and for more guest information. Thanks to all our donors for their support. Thanks also to Cher Miller, Amy Boringrud, and Clara Winter at Post Carbon Institute, plus production assistant Michelle Wig from frugalityandfreedom.com. 